возлюбленный Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег, могущество Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его, рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Зажигаются, Господи, тысячи слов для тебя, как молитва звучат. В храме твоем оживают сердца наши, Господи, и от земли на тебя. Стремляем свой взгляд, верую, верую, Господи, верую на все времена, силою Бога воскрешила, нам вера дана, верую, верую. Тому небу с молитвами Просим Тебя, Ты услыши ответ Божий нам И сохрани в этой жизни Господь Ты нас в истине благословляя на 
наш путь от земли к небесам. Верую, верую.
In this world, everything is temporary and everything will soon end. The earth and all that's in it will be destroyed. The only thing that will remain is what is eternal, that is imperishable, the treasure, which is the word of God that abides forever, that God decided to place 
inside the hearts of his people, and those who have placed it into their hearts will, will go to the new heaven, be on the new heaven, new earth, and we worshiping the Lord today, serving him, have prepared our hearts as I trust, to study our treasure, our joy, our gladness in Jesus Christ that he has placed into his word. And the unchanging epigraph of the study of the word of God is Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me, and nothing will stand in the way uh, of God fulfilling his word regarding his son in the prophet's Psalms and laws of Moses. Jesus is the head of the church, and so everything that's written about the son is written about us as well. These promises are spoken towards every individual person that has in his heart the teaching of Christ that came in the flesh. And so for us as partakers of the body of Christ to share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in scripture, we shall continue our study of our collaboration with the Holy Spirit and what is necessary to be done from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so we can put on the new way or form of life. Because only people who are garmented into this new form of life will be raptured to meet with the Lord in the air. Ephesians 4, 22-24 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Here it's talking about righteousness and holiness and <clears throat> holiness is what separates God from everything else and to fulfill these commands we know we need to utilize three charging and fundamental verbs to put off be renewed and put on to confirm the given promise elevated in status to a commandment we will therefore read another place of scripture written by the same author he in a little bit of a different format identifies a similar truth calling us to take off the old man with his deeds so we can put on the new man the new man is given the ability to be renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him Colossians 3 8 through 11 but now you yourself are to put off all these anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy language out of your mouth do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there's neither Greek nor Jew circumcised nor uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave nor free but Christ is all in all I want to again pay, uh, pay attention to the words, this new person within us is renewed in knowledge. What it means is that the Father is continually renewing. He never has anything, this word renewed meaning always new, always creating. There's no copies. He doesn't copy himself. 
an artist sometimes creates something great and can't create anything else, and he is copying something very similar or copying the same thing he's already done. Uh, and world literature uh, write about these things. Generally, a person creates one great thing and then he begins to copy. He cannot uh, create further because to create further, you need to be garmented into the new person to be renewed in knowledge according to the one who created you. If God wanted to create flowers, he would eternally create flowers and not a single flower would be like another flower that he created. We see this in nature, how many trees, you take an example of one type of tree, if you take millions of trees and not a single leaf is like the other leaf on the tree, we think, yeah, well, the configuration is about the same of the tree, of the one and the other in the same types of trees, but every leaf is different, millions of snowflakes will fall down onto the ground and those who study these things say not a single snowflake is identical to another each one in its uh, in its form is different than the other and so the new person in Christ Jesus he is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him that means that God is continually uh, renewing our knowledge about him all eternity we will be getting to know about our father new and new and new things and there will not be an end to that. And so we've noted that to put off our former way of life and renew the aspect of our mind by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit, and put on the new man, which is created in accordance to God, into righteousness and holy truth, will determine whether we transform ourselves into a vessel of, of mercy or a vessel of wrath, or will our, will our salvation be uh, become a reality or be fulfilled, or will we lose it and our names be then blotted out of the book of life, although they may have been written there at one time. It's terrible and very unfortunate, not just hundreds of thousands, but millions of Christians living upon this earth, but they don't renew, they don't leave their former way of life, they don't renew their mind, and they aren't being dressed into their new person. We know being dressed into the new person, you can't renew yourself until you receive uh, the clear truth, the only truth, and you begin to confess this as a faith of your heart. Confession of the faith of the heart is renewance of the mind and dressing yourself into, the, into your new person. In a particular format, we had already looked at the first two questions and have been studying, and we periodically are returning to them, and have been studying now the third question, the conditions we are to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we begin the process of dressing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. When speaking about clothing ourselves in 
into the power of our new person or the resurrection of Christ that carries the power of God, we've concluded that we need God's help. That is, we need his mercy because without his mercy, we will not be able to put off our former way of life, not renew our mind, or be dressed into our new person. And we know the means of receiving any kind of help from God, which we see as the inheritance of his mercy, is the weaponry or tool of prayer and worship worshiping of the Father and Spirit and truth, since prayer isn't just a man's means of communicating with God, but also a kind of legal and sacral right that a man gives heaven. So that a person can use it as a tool, this prayer, so that he may activate the given law of God. Man gives heaven then the right to intervene upon the earth. One of the prayers of David, written in the 143rd Psalm, accurately revealed the conditions upon which a man is called to form a lawful foundation for God, so that God's mercy may intervene into his life, as well as to intervene into those boundaries or within the boundaries, the aspects we carry responsibility for. This has been the component of our continual study. We do not carry responsibility for the whole earth. Every holy person, God has allotted uh, specific boundaries or specific areas in which a person is responsible. And only in these areas, aspects, do we need to uh, step upon the enemy or battle with the enemy. And everywhere else, we need to uh, turn away and not battle with them because that's not our responsibility. People tend to think that they need to preach everywhere and battle everywhere. God created the earth and God gave people time and boundaries of where they need to dwell. They didn't give one, they didn't, he didn't give one person the entire earth. When the nation of Israel entered the Can Canaan lands, into the promised lands, God did not give each person the entire land. He, he, he split the, the land into sections and gave each one, each tribe, their own territory. And we need to carry responsibility for our own and battle with the enemy within those boundaries. Everywhere else, we need to bend away or turn away from the enemy. That is the wisdom of God that many don't understand and are being punished. Although... Even godly people, as Joseph, he was not able to. Uh, he wasn't able to differentiate God's voice, determine God's voice, in the voice of the Pharaoh. Hosea and Hosea did not listen to the to the king and was uh, destroyed. And so people, due to their ignorance that they don't understand the difference, differentiate the difference uh, uh, between God's voice and uh, other voices or the devil's voice, they consider it often as one voice, the voice of God that can speak. All people who are connected to the spirit, God gave one person and the spirit of one uh, is, is connected to another and every person will have the voice of God within that place and <clears throat> but if someone thinks that he is the only voice of God this is dangerous this is dangerous when the one that uh, waters the plant considers himself as the planter Jesus is the head and when he constructs a church 
with his body, within his body, he places a head. In the body, there's a head and there's a system also. And in the system, there... <clears throat> they all obey one head, but all the rest of the uh, pretty much other aspects or component of the of the system uh, obey not the the head, but uh, the the territory in which they're in. They carry the responsibility for that section. It's very unfortunate when a certain part of your body begins to uh, work against you and not in favor of you. Let's read this psalm. It's edifying. Every time I read this psalm, I read it as my own prayer, as my own call, and as the confession of my faith. This is placed into my heart, and I trust in yours as well. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness, do not enter to judgment with your servant. For in your sight no one living is righteous, for the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the works of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to, kn to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. So that David can hear the mercy of God early, David needed to present to God a basis <clears throat> a cause or a right to, to it. And such evidence in this prayer, as we already know, were ten unique in their nature arguments founded upon the laws of God. These are the word of God. These were these precious stones that fit perfectly in fit configuration uh, into the golden settings. The word of God, they came out of the mouth of God, that God has raised above all his name, that we, he has willingly submitted to himself. Specifically, these ruling and mighty words of God turned into promises and commandments of for man. <coughs> David presented to God as the consistency of his own heart, saying to God, Hear me. Hear me in your faithfulness and in your righteousness. Hear me because I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. Hear me because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me for in you do I trust. Hear me because I lift up my soul to you. Hear me, because I take shelter in you. Hear me, for you are my God. Hear me for your name's sake. Hear me for your righteousness' sake. And hear me, for I am your servant. 
In the previous services, we had already studied the nature of the first argument that abided in David's heart. This was evidence that faithfulness and righteousness abided in David's heart. This served as a legal foundation for God, giving God the ability to hear David and to stand on the side of David in his oppositions against his enemies, and stop to study the second argument. This is evidence that in the heart of David, there were memories of the days of old and all of the deeds that God had done in those days, proclaimed and presented by him in prayer. <clears throat> and this was the confession of his faith. It was continually in his mind. When anything happened, David remembered God in his deeds, and he knew he was the same God that had uh, saved uh, Israel from Egypt that had stopped the sun and the moon over Gibeon. He's the same God and he lives in me. All of the deeds that he had done live in me. And he had mentioned those works uh, before God. He, re he, was re he rejoiced and he, he, he brought forth all of the works that God had done in the days of old. And when we confess who God is for us and what he has done for us, then God has a foundation, has a basis upon which he then can fulfill what we proclaim about him, who he is for us. He gives the opportunity by the power of the Holy Spirit to wait until it actually happens. This form of evidence is the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which is a unique and continual remembrance or a continual memorial before God, containing the, com the component of continual prayer. The breastplate of judgment was created for one purpose and to serve one purpose. This purpose was the Urim and the Thummim in the heart of a man, the existence of which allowed God to hear man and man to hear God. Therefore, to be heard by God in the revelation of his Urim, it is necessary to keep within your mind the works of God, that is his Thummim, that God had done in the days of old. The breastplate of judgment as an item of continual remembrance before God is a sacral symbol of the format of continual prayer, providing God a foundation to fulfill his will upon planet Earth. Therefore, prayer that is not in accordance to the requirements and characteristics of the breastplate of judgment does not have the right to be called prayer, because only the format of continuous prayer presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest gives us the right to come before God and enter the holy place as kings and priests of God to be an intercessor pursuing the interests of his will. Here's how Apostle Paul presents the nature of the breastplate of judgment symbolizing continual prayer in his books. Colossians 4.2 Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Continuing earnestly in prayer identifies a joyously burning lamp, identifying the condition of the righteous heart of a man, or a good heart of a man. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out, Proverbs 13, 9. To be put out, that is entering into darkness, that is destroyed, removed. The built order of the breastplate of judgment identified the demands of spirit and truth that the worship, true worshiper of God whom God seeks need to be in accordance to and need to possess. 
John 4:23-24. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Breaking or interfering the order of building the breastplate of judgment, identifying the state and nature of a worshiper of God, the breastplate of judgment loses its nature and its purpose. Worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth includes not peddling with the truth when pursuing the goals that God has placed in Scripture, as people have done in all times and many do today, because of their stiff neck and to benefit their greed and their hypocrisy. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2.17. In the Septuagint, the breastplate of judgment, Septuagint is our translation, the breastplate of judgment is called the sign of justice, as by the means of the Urim and Thummim that is contained in the breastplate of judgment, God revealed to man his judgments. The breastplate of judgment is identified as the conscience of a man purified from dead works upon the tablets of whom, just as a sign that the teaching of Jesus Christ is imprinted, that comes in the flesh. Therefore, the conscience that is purified of dead works with the imprinted faithfulness and righteousness upon its tablets is called to give God the right to function in them and through them upon planet Earth. In a specific format, we have already studied the measurement and nature of materials from which the breastplate of judgment is supposed to be built, that we need to be in accordance to within our spirit. And stop to study the next requirement, which states, Exodus 28:17 through 21. And you shall put settings of stone in it into the breastplate of judgment, four rows of stones. The first row, sardius, topaz, and emerald. Second row, turquoise, sapphire, and diamond. Third row, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. And fourth row, beryl, onyx, and jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stone shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engraving of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. We've noted that the twelve golden settings is the authority, rule, and order of God contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, that we as worshipers of God are called to present in our continual prayer. And the twelve precious stones with engraved upon them as a sign it, names of the sons of Israel, is a symbol and format of our continual prayer, presenting the perfect judgments of God. From this we can see that if it wasn't the golden settings being the truth of the Word of God that were adjusted in measurement and configuration to fit the precious stones, but the precious stones themselves, being our prayers, are the ones that were adjusted and configured to fit the golden settings of truth. Continual prayer in the twelve precious stones of the breastplate of judgment with the twelve names is a persisting prayer that in its intercession presents the interests of the will of God and does not sway away or step away from the goal until what is asked for is received, even if you have to pay the price of your life. She will pass through and be faithful to the end. 
The building of the breastplate of judgment within our heart is revealed as building the kingdom of heaven in the image of the tree of life, presented in the Revelation of John and other places of Scripture also. Growing the tree of life within your heart is building yourself up into a new person, created in accordance to God in righteousness and holy truth, into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. With this we will remember that all of the beauty and order of the temple was built for one holy item and for the service of that holy item. This was the golden ark of the covenant. The same thing with the ephod of the high priest with the connected to it breastplate of judgment. The ephod and the headpiece connected with the connected breastplate of judgment, it was created for and served only one holy item. This item very accurately was called to duplicate and fulfill the function of the golden ark. This was the urn and the thummim. Because the golden ark of the covenant as well as the breastplate of judgment symbolized from different angles with various purposes the conscience of a man cleansed from dead works. Urim and Thummim in Hebrew means light and perfection, light and the right, and revelation and truth. For example, the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant is the truth. The Ten Commandments is Jesus Christ in the Ark of the Covenant. And this truth upon the breastplate of judgment is the Thummim. Manna also was the grace of God and the word of God in the ark. The revelation that a person could receive at the lid of the ark of the covenant is the urim in the breastplate of judgment. Urim is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, only a person who has a conscience cleansed from dead works or who has a wise heart upon the tablets of whom the truth in the form of the thummim is imprinted can be a worshiper of God. The revelation of God by the means of his urim, the Holy Spirit, can function only only within the boundaries of truth. This truth within the heart of a person is the thummim, the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh as it is written. I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Exodus 31, 6. Again, I repeat, every time when I read this place of Scripture, that God will never be placing His Spirit, His wisdom into a foolish heart. People who receive baptism of the Holy Spirit, they don't receive wisdom immediately. They receive the opportunity, the ability to look at it and become familiar with it and make a decision to make him your, their, make the Holy Spirit their master and Lord or to leave him as a guest and continue to do what I want. You know, a guest has no authority or power when he comes to you. You are the master. The guest is a guest. And so when the holy people of God sing, Holy Spirit, you're a guest from heaven, in, the, in this way they say, I am the master, I am the God, you are just the guest. This is, this is not good. In order for the Holy Spirit to be the Lord and Master, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. He has given us the guarantee of that, that is the Holy Spirit is written. And so for this guarantee to become the Lord and Master of our life, we need to turn it to profit together with ourselves. We can't take the Holy Spirit separately and turn him to profit. We ourselves are this guarantee. When the Holy Spirit enters into us and we receive him upon the... Uh, or upon the teaching or in accordance with the teaching, 
then the work of the Holy Spirit will begin to work and we begin to collaborate with him in accordance to the truth of the word of God. And so the friendship of the Thumbim and Urim in the heart of a person is a unification of two formats of wisdom that pronounce that the carrier of the Thummim and the Urim are true worshippers of God and possess the immune system of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they themselves can't defend themselves if God will not defend them. In this situation, it's very dangerous to touch these people who carry them because you can speak negative things against God or Jesus, but you can't speak evil against the Holy Spirit or these people, so you not be rejected by God forever. And of Levi, he said, Levi is our destiny binded to God, dependent from God, willingly placing yourself in dependence of God, led by the Holy Spirit. And of Levi, he said, let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children. In the original it says he does not follow after his children. He places the rules of how they should live and not they who place the rules of how parents should live. Today, in the house of Christian people, children give uh, place the laws or implement the laws of how parents are to behave, and this is very unfortunate. Unfortunate, this is a catastrophe for the parents and the children as well. For they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. <clears throat> and so incense, that means they are upon this altar a fragrance and a sweet aroma to God. That for one is a foul odor and for the other a living odor. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the works of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him that they rise not again. Deuteronomy 33, 8-11. So when Moses spoke these words, he confirmed these words. After And after he, they were confirmed, they came, they pretty much be, uh, obtained power. And so anybody who speaks against those who carry the Urim and Thummim will be destroyed. In a specific format, we have already looked at five qualities of a warrior in prayer in the first five precious stones of the breastplate of judgment by which God was able to continuously reveal his will upon planet Earth and stop to study the sixth quality and the precious diamond stone. We know that the sixth name carved upon the precious stone of the breastplate of judgment upon the tablets of our heart is the name of the sixth son of Jacob Neftali, which means wrestler. And Rachel's maid Bila conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Neftali. Genesis 37, 8. The name of God presented in the precious diamond stone, according to the Jewish rabbinate in 
is El Hai in he, and in Hebrew, which when translated translated means God is alive. Therefore, according to the definition of the name Naphtali upon the precious diamond stone, we can conclude the function of the sixth principle as a format of continual prayer is our right and our ability to allow allow the Holy Spirit to abide with us in our prayer battles against the powers of hell which confront us when we fulfill the will of God by the name of the living God. You don't need to ask him, Holy Spirit, help me. You don't need to ask him to help you. You need to allow him to help you. When you pray in tongues, you allow the Holy Spirit to battle together with you. You don't need to ask. He himself wants to. He lives in you. And he wants to pray. Jacob allowed the angel, the Holy Spirit, presented here as the angel to pray together with him and they overcame in this battle his flesh was uh, resistant uh, of the things of God and his soul and he and so when God asked him what is your name he said Jacob one of the meanings of the name Jacob means and so when you remember that he uh, said his name was Jacob, he then told him your name will be Israel, one who overcomes in prayer, one who allows the Holy Spirit to pray together with him and overcome in battle. But the Lord is the true God, He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Jeremiah 10.10 The name of the living God is a format of an oath and the category of the nation that had not learned to swear by the living God or swore falsely were utter, utterly destroyed. Jeremiah 12.16 17. And it shall be, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. Therefore, to not be plucked up and destroyed by the wrath of the living God, it is necessary to learn the ways of the nation of God, to swear by the name of the of the living God, El Hai, or by, and these ways are the paths and commandments and statutes of God. The condition that gives us the right to learn the ways or paths of God's commandments and statutes is to swear by His name is the thirst to know them. Because in these ways you get to know God. Psalm 119.32-35 I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart, when my heart will begin to bear fruit. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I shall be, keep it to the end. A person who does not bear fruit in his heart, he will not be able to understand the path 
the course of God's commandments and follow them. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. David knew that God can place him if he thirsts for it, if he wants it, and he needs to prove this thirst, just as the Holy Spirit proved it when he hovered over the uh, waters, if you remember, or the earth was not yet formed, it was just water, and those uh, saturated minerals, uh, we were all there and all on this earth, and the Spirit of God hovered over those waters. He trembled with joy, waiting, looking at what will happen. He was waiting and thirsting to hear what God will say. He can't do anything until God speaks. And when God said, let there be light, the Holy Spirit immediately breathed into these minerals life, resurrected, the earth became living. That is how he waited, and we need to tremble over God's promises, and when we do, then the Heavenly Father, through the Holy Spirit, can tell us the time has come to lead this promise out of the tomb that you've buried, about which you said pro probably this will never happen, and suddenly the Holy Spirit will speak to you, the time has come, and when you proclaim this, then the Holy Spirit will have the ability to fulfill it. He will reveal it to you, and He will fulfill it, but you will proclaim it. This, pro the proclamation of the faith of your heart, any proclamation of the faith of the heart is, are the words that become equal in power as the words of God. The name living in Hebrew means when it, in, a, in regards to God is abiding, one who is with unconditional authority, one who defines a genesis, one who creates a genesis, one who holds a genesis, one who keeps the genesis, one who rules over the genesis and commander and lord of the genesis. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oath in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Deuteronomy 10, 20 through 21. David, all of this was written in David's heart and he saw it with his eyes continually. The result of swearing by the name of the living God was always the fulfillment of the promise of God for the sake of which the oath was made. The power of a warrior in prayer contained within the virtue of the name of the living God is called to present the unlimited power of God over the Genesis in the allotted by him for us time and boundaries. Therefore, it is necessary for us to determine what goals God has in His intentions when He urges and calls His children to become warriors in prayer. Also, in what way and upon what conditions is God able and desires to give man the right to become a warrior in prayer so that man may present the interests of God and implement or actualize his inheritance in God? For the definitions provided in Scripture to be a warrior in prayer is the lawful and privileged inheritance of holy men of all days. This is their primary or first most purpose that is revealed in their calling to trample upon uncleanness and the unclean in their prayer battles, trample them as dust in the streets. This is one of the greatest positions that is gifted by God to man, in which a person becomes a king and a priest to God and is seen by God as a brilliant diamond stone with 
the name of Natali. Not being a king and a priest to God and the virtues of which a person receives the unique ability and right to reign with his informational organ over his emotional organ, that is with his mind over his emotional organ, that is his feelings. It is impossible not being a king and a priest, it is impossible to be and remain a warrior in prayer. We may feel things, but you don't need to be afraid. You need to communicate with your soul, just like David did. Why do you doubt? I still will trust upon the name of God. The Lord is living, before whom I stand, I shall trust upon my God. Be strong. And so when you begin to communicate with yourself in such a way, God will then... God will allow something to be taken from you and you will be tested whether you truly have this trust upon God or not. The informational organ having the ability to reign over the emotional aspect of our soul the information organ is the mind of man, renewed by, with the spirit of his mind, which is the mind of Christ in the heart of a person. The prayer of a warrior in prayer is a sacral or holy mystery that has an unearthly genesis. By its nature, the genesis of prayer as well as the genesis of God does not have the beginning or does, and does not have an end. Prayer is the language of God, identifying the essence of God and identifying the word and genesis of God. Prayer has always been a mystery of God as it has always existed in His presence. The Holy Spirit and the Son of God communicate with their Father, their Heavenly Father, by the means of this language, language of prayer. Because he, as, as the golden scepter of favor that he stretches forth to the one that seeks his face and performing his will. If the Holy Spirit wanted to fulfill his will, he wanted the Father to speak his will to sound, sound it because he penetrated the thoughts and he knew the thoughts of the Father and he was trembling with joy of what can happen and he waited and he greatly desired to activate the Heavenly Father to this and he said let there be light and the Holy Spirit resurrected the planet Earth and it became living all the planets that are around us and stars are dead materials our earth you can't say it's dead it is living and it bears life and it not another not a single other planet if you bring the the earth or or the soil from those places they're not living because minerals are life and they give life to organic matter to organic things we know if however anyone dares come to God upon his own personal conditions not being called in to God's presence then God's golden scepter of favor will not be stretched out to the one asking this will result in in the prayers of this person being unheard by God killed these the prayers of this person are killed now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. John 9:31. Sinners are those who take words of God into his mouth, but in their, they're not in his heart. This is the one that claims from others, demands from others, but does not fulfill it himself, expects from others, but doesn't do it himself or condemns others and does even worse things himself. 
Because the right to come close to and stand before God in prayer is the exclusive prerogative of God, no one will be able to or will dare by themselves to come close to or approach God, the God that desires to abide in darkness or mystery or in the unapproachable light. Jeremiah 30:21-22. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged to his heart to approach me? says the Lord, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. In other words, in this governor, you will become my nation, and I will become your God. And we know who it's talking about. And so coming close to or being in God's presence is the task of one governor that will come from the nation seed of Abraham. This is the only begotten Son of God in the status of the Son of Man, in whom and by whom anyone born from God and seeking God would be able to approach and enter God's presence. According to the revelations written in Scripture, our prayer in the quality of a warrior in prayer identified by the virtue of the brilliant stone, needs to be continual, persistent, diligent, with boldness, with reverence, with faith of the heart, with thanksgiving, with joy, in the fear of the Lord, in the Holy Spirit, or praying in tongues. In previous services, we've looked at the first seven signs that identify the state of a warrior in prayer as well as the unique quality of his prayers and turn to the eighth sign, this is prayer, which is garmented into an unearthly or upright joy. But first, I once again will present the antonyms or opposite qualities of prayer, antonyms of the qualities we've been studying, because understanding the background of the antonyms of each quality will more clearly help us understand the quality and character of true prayer. The antonym of continual is unfaithful or not continuing. The antonym of persisting, persistent is resistant. The antonym of diligent is lazy. The antonym of boldness is audacity. The antonym of reverence is, ne is neglect and hatred. The antonym of the faith of God is unbelief or resisting the faith of God. The antonym of thanksgiving is unthankful or a hard heart. And the antonym of joy is sorrow or discouragement. As it is written, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs Proverbs 17.22. Further, we note that each of the above-mentioned qualities exist, exist in each other, come one from the others, strengthen one the other, complete one the other, and identify the truthfulness of one the other. Therefore, each of the ten qualities contain in a balance the remaining other nine qualities. Therefore, the truthfulness of each quality is confirmed or determined by the presence of the other nine qualities. As one whole or combined, these qualities contain a fascinating balance, most perfect in knowledge. Nevertheless, each of the ten qualities has its own per specific face. It's unrepeated and inherent only to it taste, color, smell, and character of behavior. As a result, these qualities have their own exclusive exclusiveness and specific application and its own specific purpose. And in the, as in the previous subjects of study, it was necessary for us to study what do scriptures give 
give us in terms of unearthly joy, what is its purpose, and in what way do we express it in our prayers? To determine the essence of unearthly joy as well as the conditions that we are required to fulfill so that we can grow and express the virtue of joy in our prayer, it was necessary for us to highlight the following, define the essence and purpose of the fruit of joy in prayer, the price of obtaining and expressing the fruit of joy, keeping and developing the fruit of joy, and the fruits and rewards of expressing upright joy in prayer. Looking at the first question, with what measuring instruments can we determine the spring of unearthly joy? What qualities does the earth unearthly joy have? And what purpose is covered in the wellspring from which this unearthly joy flows? We've come to the conclusion that in Scripture, the quality or character that is included in the word joy, as with the previous qualities, is prescribed in prayer as a commandment, as a decree and order, and as an urgent military command that is to be fulfilled without deviation. If this order is not fulfilled, the verdict is death or a final split or break of our relationship that is contained in the covenant we made with God. Apostle Jude concluded his short book to the Church of Christ by giving the quality of joy its own elevation and rank as an integral part of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jude one twenty four. Looking at the above statement, we can conclude that from one end, blemish or fault in your joy is an absence of a foundation keeping us from stumbling into perdition to present us before the glory of God. The glory of God abides in the atmosphere of exceeding joy and is an expression of exceeding or upright joy. Blemishes or faults in joy embodying or personifying the glory of God is a stain, flaw, or flaw, a presence of impurity, abomination, and deceit. A person who has not gotten rid of such blemishes in joy as well as in other characteristics of his life will not be allowed in heaven. <coughs> Revelation 21:27. But there shall be by no means enter it, it anything that defiles, that is heaven, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. <coughs> because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of your heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. Determining the essence contained in the word joy, just as in the other components, is directly linked to the quality of our faith or the quality of our obedience to the will of God. Determining the wellspring of unearthly or upright joy and the existing in the joy natural qualities, we've come to the conclusion that determining the essence and purpose of upright joy in prayer will be the direct result of the fact that this kind of joy can only come from the from an upright person, people who have the state or up, state of uprightness and express the state of uprightness. If the atmosphere of upright joy will abide within our heart, then our prayer will express the quality of this joy. We need to differentiate earthly or regular joy from joy that is supernatural, that has its distinctive roots in God, its distinctive wellspring in God, and its distinctive genesis in God. At the same time, earthly joy has its roots, its wellspring, and its genesis in the mortal flesh, that is, in the physical aspect of man or the aspect of his satisfied desires and emotions. From one side, these two are 
diametrically opposite qualities one from the other and the understanding of joy in its beginning as well as in its expression. And from the other side, these two are mutually exclusive one from the other, <clears throat> worrying one with the other program qualities planted within the heart of a man in the format of a seed. And since the heart of a man is a programmable system, the nature of joy to which man gives his consideration dresses him and rules in his essence. And if we give consideration to earthly joy, then it from one side will be the means we measure our relationship with God, and from the other side will be suppressing and oppressing unearthly joy. Oh, I feel bad. The Lord has left, left me. Something's wrong. People say such things. This is earthly joy. It comes from the feelings. It's all based on feelings. Unearthly joy, supernatural joy comes from information, from hearing the word of God and not your emotions. And so if we will consider the joy that comes from above, then it also will be the means by which we measure our relationship with God. However, unlike worldly joy, oppressing joy that comes from above, unearthly joy or joy that comes from above will not oppress or suppress worldly joy, but the opposite will dress it into its own virtue, will control and balance its development so that upon specific conditions it can utilize it to worship to worship God. <clears throat> <clears throat> it's not pleasant. Of course, for God, when people walk around with a very bitter face, God wants us to be joyful completely, that we be dressed into this unearthly joy and that it ruled the, the joy we have here, the physical joy and emotions. <coughs> I brought forth an example. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons and sub are subject to us in your name. This, this was joy that came, that was in their emotions, in their, in their body. And Jesus stopped them. He didn't tell them to not rejoice, but he took the joy that they had and he redirected it. See what he says. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He says, don't rejoice because demons obey you. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Luke 10, 17 through 20. When our names are written in heaven, we rejoice then about that, that my name is written in the Lord's book, not because demons obey me, because it won't just be demons, angels also uh, will obey you, and it doesn't stop there. If you paid attention, Jesus did not begin to suppress and oppress the worldly joy of his disciples, but just changed the goals or redirected the direction of their joy to that goal that is the object of true upright joy. Due to its supernaturalism, unearthly joy is not able to be experienced or felt in the level of your physical abilities. Unlike worldly joy, it isn't emotional or some kind of feeling that lifts up your mood. But when it pretty much garments our worldly joy, 
We need to have this fire in the body because we present our body as a, a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, and you need to do this in joy. And so we need this information. Supernatural joy is a kind of discipline of the mind and heart, which creates peace in the heart of a man, as well as balances, controls, and leads the feelings. Therefore, as we will see further, upright joy prescribed in the aromatic spices of prayer is one of the unearthly qualities and names of God himself, and further the children that are born from him. The children born from him can receive the quality of joy in no other way but in the seed of the word of grace that in the Holy Spirit, and only after be grown and enabled by the means of the discipline of the will, mind, and heart, directed to continually abide in the word of God and in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, supernatural joy in its genesis as well as its expression is stable, continual, unchanging, and absolutely does not depend from worldly circumstances or satisfying worldly desires. About the holy people in Macedonia, that in their great trials of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. 2 Corinthians 8, 2. A chapter higher, Apostle Paul testified of the same and of himself regarding unearthly joy. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. 2 Corinthians 7, 4. Being in prison, he was filled with exceeding joy. Reading his testimony, it becomes clear that being filled with exceeding joy, which is a comfort, does not in any way depend from and is in no way linked to losses and sufferings on earth. It is necessary to specifically master the difference between worldly joy and unearthly joy, which is temporary and incomplete. Unlike unearthly or supernatural joy, worldly joy is subject to fluctuation or sudden change. It depends from outer factors and satisfying worldly desires. For example, identifying earthly joy and earthly gladness, the scriptures say that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment, Job 25. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief, Proverbs 14:13. In regards to men with unclean hearts and hands that filled the church then, as well as today, Apostle Paul states, lament and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom, James 4, 9. The means that for, this means that for giving preference to worldly joy over joy that comes from above and trust, up, and trust upon people who trust upon worldly joy, God will bring these people to, judge, to uh, justice or judgment. Ecclesiastes 11, 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the day of your youth. Walk in the way of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Turning our attention to the unique wisdom of Scripture in defining, un defining unearthly joy, we've decided to look at the virtues of upright joy only within the heart of a man, born from the imperishable seed of the word of truth, abiding within Christ. In the previous service, we in a specific format already looked at six signs identifying the spring and quality of upright joy. I will shortly remind us of them and when we will then proceed to study the unique virtue and quality inherent to continual prayer. So first, spring of upright or unearthly joy is God himself, because specifically God, by his eternal and unchanging nature, is the God of joy and gladness. Consequently, it is God who is 
the wellspring example and criteria of upright joy. Because this overwhelming joy is not only the quality and atmosphere in which God abides, but also is one of his glorious names with which he celebrates and triumphs over his enemies. Otherwise, how could the atmosphere of perfect and victorious joy come from him if he, by his nature, was not the personification and example of this all-victorious joy? The second component identifying the wellspring of upright overwhelming joy in the heart of a man is the chief cornerstone of our justification, the Lord Jesus placed by God into our heart, into the foundation of creating the heavens and the earth. The third component of identifying the unearthly joy for all the pre-chosen and purpose for salvation is in our hearts the incarnation or embodiment of the Messiah that God has laid as the chief cornerstone of all that is seen and unseen. Fourth component that identifies unearthly joy within our heart identifies her, her as one of three unique virtues identifying in our heart the kingdom of heaven. Fifth component identifying unearthly joy in our heart is one of the members of the fruits of our spirit grown from the seed received by us by us in justification in Christ Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5.22-23. Sixth component, identifying the wellspring of unearthly joy within our heart, is called to be Mount Zion on the northern side that is laid out for the city of the great king. The component, seventh component, identifying joy that comes from above will be the creative wisdom of God reflected in the creative wisdom of a righteous man, performing the will of God in joy by the power of the Holy Spirit in God and with God. Proverbs 8.22-21 The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning before there was ever an earth when there were no depths I was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water we're talking about the heart of a person before the mountains were settled before the hills I was brought forth while as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world when he prepared the heavens I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep when he established the clouds of clouds above when he strengthened the fountains of the deep when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters would no, not transgress his commandment when he marked out the foundation of the earth then I was beside him as a master craftsman and I was daily his delight rejoicing always before him Proverbs 8.22-31 rejoicing in his inhabitants world and my delight was with the sons of men I want us to pay attention to the concluding phrase summing up God's creation and my delight was with the sons of men we can conclude therefore that somehow the sons of men took part in this creation of God the sentence above speaks of such a category of son of men which by the means of wisdom that abides within their heart in the format of the Thummim collaborated with the wisdom of God that comes from above in the format of the Urim which is why is in the given Proverbs God wanted us to be able to see the creative work or, act or activity within the heart of a man similar to the first creation the creation of heaven and earth Therefore, in the given proverb, God wanted us to see, again, his creative work. 
Psalm 126.5-6 Those who sow so in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Therefore, in the given proverb, we will be looking at the creation of God with the creation of man, which is only possible only after man has sown himself with tears, dying for his nation, for his house, and his destructive desires. Such a death in Christ Jesus became grounds or a foundation for resurrection in Christ Jesus, in which a person began to dress himself into the resurrection of Christ, that is, that is into his new person created in accordance to God. Upon practice, this means that God in his creation coded into the festive rejoicing of his heart that identified his life in the resurrection of Christ, received grounds to collaborate with the creation of man, coded into the festive rejoicing of his heart that identified in his heart the celebration of life that he obtained in the resurrection of Christ. When a, here it's, in this proverb, we see how the joy of God collaborates with the joy of man in his heart. When a person is born from the preached seed of the word of truth, the state or condition of his heart is in one accord with the initial or original condition of heaven and earth, identified as darkness reigning over the depths of the waters. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day, Genesis 1, 1 through 5. This is what happens in the heart of a man when he just receives Jesus. We are well familiar with the phrase, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, meaning, trembled from joy and delight or ad admiration of the thoughts of God that was contained in the depths of the waters, exercised dominion, warmed and focused upon the thoughts of God contained in the depths of the waters, strongly longed for and waited for the time, the revelation that contained thoughts in the depths of the waters and the word that comes out of the mouth of God to immediately and without deviation fulfill the commandments of the word of God. The phrase let there be light means let there be life or let there be the resurrection of life because the initial light that this place of scripture is referring to was the initial word of God that came out of the mouth of God. God said, let there be light. This was the word. And this word had life, and this life was light for men or the resurrection of life from the dead. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was light of men. John 1, 1 through 4. And so life was in him, and this life, the word that, this word that is life was in Jesus, and it was light for men. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light, therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Ephesians 5, 13 through 14. When a person is born again, what happens to him? we begin to see, because God in his proverb has shown a similar thing of how the earth, heaven and earth was created, that's how it will be happening inside the heart of a person as well. The book of Proverbs describes the presence of joy 
because of the wisdom of God during the creation of heaven and earth in the hearts of the Son of Men, that the Son of Men shared, being born from the imperishable seed of the word of truth, in whom the atmosphere of joy creating the heavens and the earth filled, clothed, and overfilled their hearts with the light of life, the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, the next component identifying joy because of the wisdom of God collaborating with the wisdom of man, garmenting his essence into upright joy is contained in the phrase, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. The meaning of the given phrase is, when God, by the means of his word, which is the proclaimed faith of the heart of a man, prepared the heavens and the heart of the man, the wisdom of God in the revelation of the Holy Spirit, revealing the purpose of the truth within his heart was there. Preparing the heavens in the heart of a man is preparing the heavenly hosts in the firmament of the heavens, the role of the sun, moon, and stars called to direct the day and night and divide or differentiate the light from the darkness. So night in the essence of a man is his wise or righteous heart within which he receives the revelations of God. Daytime in the essence of a wise man is his renewed mind that receives these revelations from the spirit of the night. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge, Psalm 19.2. Night is such a relationship with God in which a person penetrates with his heart God's darkness or God's night, the darkness within which God desires to abide. God from his side penetrates the darkness or night of a man and reveals to man the path to knowing him. In result, the knowledge of the heart obtained in the night of the spirit is passed on to the renewed mind of a man in the format of uttered speech, converting the heart's thoughts of faith into proclaimed words. Therefore, by the means of confession of faith of the heart, the revelations that are received are confirmed when he prepared the heavens. To prepare, the word preparing means to stand immovable, to be resilient or durable, being undamaged, firmly grounded, be restored from the ruins of death, to be safe and inaccessible for the entry of decay or destruction, to be well-mannered and well-disciplined by the means of discipline, be founded and built in, be established and strengthened, be instructed and implemented, to be appointed or designated to rule, to be made ready for battle. This is what it means when God prepared the heavens or the all of the, and all the heavenly hosts. Here we're talking about in the heart of a person. Therefore, only after the heavens and all of its hosts are prepared in the heart of a man, God has provided a foundation or grounds to draw a circle upon the heart of a man, upon the face of the deep of the human heart, and in this way places the deep of the human heart into the order of his godly circle that identifies the deep of God's heart. Circle is the depth of God's heart. This is eternity. This is Him. And God places a person into it, into this eternity. In His holy circle of eternity, God places the human heart, that is, into the boundaries of His commandments, identifying His order. In these, God calls and penetrates the deep of the human heart, and man receives the ability to call upon or penetrate the deep of God's heart, which contains the thoughts of God. Here's what Psalm 77, 18 through 20 says. David writes, The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The voice of your thunder, the word of God, was in 
the circle whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And Psalm 42, 7 says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. And so God is that circle of depth. He calls to the depths of the human heart. Here's what Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of a man the things God prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. When God has drawn his circle and placed us into that circle, into his order, God will never do anything out of his order. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit whom is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You need to be the spiritual depth, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. The next component identifying joy because of the wisdom of God, collaborating with the wisdom of man, garmenting his essence into upright joy, is contained in the phrase, when he established the clouds above. We know that in Scripture, a cloud is a symbol of the glory of God, signifying hope upon God in the heart of a man upon the condition that this cloud will be filled with living waters, identifying the powerful authority of the Word of God. Colossians 1, 25-27, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you, to fulfill the Word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been received in His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of His mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so hope is the establishment of man. When Christ is in us, he is the hope of glory. And so in order for God to be able to give us this hope, we need to be filled with the thumb and with the teaching. Job 37, 11 through 16. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds. And they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that he may, they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? 
And so clouds that are not filled with moisture are, moisture are those that are scattered to and fro by every doctrine or wind of teaching. But we're talking about those that are filled or, uh, with moisture. The next component, identifying joy because of the wisdom of God, collaborating with the wisdom of man, garmenting his essence into upright joy, is contained in the phrase, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep. In Scripture, the fountains of the deep in the heart of a man are the fountains or springs of life, revealing the two way path upon which God responds with his thanksgiving to the thanksgiving of man. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23. Here it's talking about the springs of life, and the original says these are springs of the depth, or of the deep. The deep are waters that has no uh, bottom or has no end. To strengthen the fountains of the deep in the heart of a man means to strengthen the position of righteousness by the confessions of the faith of the heart, confessing who God is to us and what God has done for us. This is what it means. He can't strengthen the fountains of the deep until we proclaim it. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knee and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Hebrews 12, 12-13. Zechariah 8, 9-12 Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who have been hearing in these days those words by the mouth of the prophets who have spoken the, days, the day of the foundation was laid. For the for the house of the Lord of hosts that the temple might be built. For before these days there were no wages for man nor any hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for, for whoever went out or came in. For I sent all men, everyone against his neighbor. But now I will not treat the remnant of his people as in former days, says the Lord of hosts. The remnant is the, the, the tithe, 10%. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heaven shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of his people to possess all things. <coughs> the next component identifying joy because of the wisdom of God collaborating with the wisdom of man, garmenting his essence into upright joy, is contained in the phrase, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command. And so in our hearts, we also have this ocean with these powerful waves. In the given place of scripture, the sea is a symbol of the emotional abilities that are contained within the heart of a man, that are the energy necessary for building yourself up into a house of God. <clears throat> See what it says in Job, Job 38, 8 through 11, it speaks about our emotional aspect so that it have its boundaries so that it not go over. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my li limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said this far you may come but no further and here, and here your proud waves must stop. 
You may say, why are they called our feelings or emotions? Because our emotions, without control, they will be arrogant or will be lifted up, and so they need to be controlled. And God has placed those limits. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Ephesians 4, 26-27. If you will not... Speak out of, of the wrath that's within your heart, be angry. Uh, you may get angry, but if you have not actually spoken that anger towards anyone, you will not give place for the devil, and you have not sinned. Here's what David says in his psalm. Be angry and do not sin. Medi meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Psalm 4, 4 through 5. If you became angry, close your door and tell yourself nothing will happen to you. It's fine. Be silent in the name of Jesus Christ. Tell yourself to be silent. And when you go to bed, go to sleep, you'll begin to meditate. Your sun shall not go down in your wrath. If I fall asleep, I can, it's possible I won't wake up. I could die in the night, and then what? Where will I be? I will not stand before God. Then what do I need to do? I need to forgive the person that I'm angry at. And then I say, Lord, I forgive, Lord, this person by the decision of my renewed mind and my will. I'm not looking at my feelings. God is not looking at your feelings. He placed boundaries he uh, placed these boundaries with his clouds and the important thing is you forgive the person not with your feelings but with the discipline of your mind and will and force your feelings to follow after you and this gives God great pleasure and then he begins to comfort you after you do this God begins to heal your emotions that are wounded it says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness, confess righteousness, and put your trust in the Lord. The next component, identifying joy because of the wisdom of God, collaborating with the wisdom of man, garmenting his essence into upright joy, is contained in the phrase, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. In the given phrase, the symbol of the foundation of the earth within our heart are the elementary doctrine of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh in the format of the twelve foundations of the wall of the New Jerusalem. This is the foundation of the earth. And so the doctrine, the, the elementary teaching, this is the foundation, this is what we build upon. Let us read this place of Scripture, Ephesians 5, 13 through 14 and 6, 1 through 7. For anyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. It is impossible to give him a foundation. He is a, a babe to, to provide a foundation for the earth. He needs to be grown into maturity or an adult. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Нельзя вот эту главу начинать. Почему? Почему? То есть почему? Там идет что-то выше. 
And so you can't start uh, uh, reading uh, this uh, chapter low, uh, lower or try to pick out just places out of, uh, out of this chapter separately without reading what is before it and after it. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, dressing and sprinkling yourself with elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of the hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again. If you have these, this doctrine, the teaching, then you have then the foundation of the earth under you that is supposed to be under you since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open chain for the earth shall earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God but if it bears thorns and briars it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned Hebrews 5, 13 6, 1-7 imagine what happens in our heart how God, we have our own universe. Our time is up today, and what we see, what God does within our heart, because the wisdom of God, uh, and so he drew the circle, and his joy with the, was with the Son of Man. In this proverb, you, you can meditate about it further, and we'll be studying it in more depth, how God reveals these beautiful uh, images to us, how he collaborates with man. If a man does not collaborate with God, God will not be able to do anything. If a person will not tremble as the Holy Spirit did, who hovered over the waters and waited, when we receive the word that we don't understand, what do we need to do? We need to tremble with joy. Lord, what did you mean when you said this? And when you begin to meditate, God will reveal to you the meanings. Possibly in the next service or in two, three services, you, God, you will reveal this mystery to you. And as soon as it is revealed, you will confess it. And when you confess it, then in your heart, something will happen that happened with the heavens and the earth. God will build you into a beautiful planet in which he will live and abide. Our time is up. Let us bend our knees uh, or however who is comfortable and we will pray and thank God that he in joy performs work in us and we collaborate with him in joy to build ourselves up into a holy house and a royal priesthood. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I again and again worship with your nation upon this place that you have appointed for the worshiping of your name. We thank you that you elevate the qualities of your joy and reveal them to us. You are the one that continually has 
gladness and joy within his heart because you have no reason to be sorrowful or to be saddened because everything you said you can fulfill. If a person will allow you to, you will fulfill your word that you have said and that he, this person is placed into his heart, that he has allowed to be received into his heart. And if your children will keep your word, will be long-suffering and wait for its fulfillment, then you will have enough power to fulfill it. And it is important how much time passes. You're not dependent from age or sickness. You're not dependent from the years a person has lived. You're dependent on your word that you have placed over yourself and have become a servant to. And so you will fulfill the word that you say and you can fulfill it and desire to fulfill it. You have used, you utilize a person so that this person confesses the words that you, that are in his heart, that he has received, and the person is then called by you to confess the words that are in his heart, and you begin to work and send your Holy Spirit and millions of angels to fulfill those promises and not hell with all of this power or the world or our sinful nature that we have crucified in Jesus Christ by the cross of the Lord Jesus will be able to confront or do anything. And so you can restore a person from any situation. You can lead them, lead them out and show them another door to a completely different path. And so when a person has this hope of who you are for him and what you have done for him, and begins to confess it, then you then receive a, a foundation or a basis to be able to fulfill what is confessed by his mouth. We thank you for the joy of your heart. We thank you that we can, with the joy and gladness of our heart, rejoice of what you're doing within our heart. We may your greatness and laws be blessed that you have placed into our heart so that we would be able to control our feelings so that we there would be boundaries for our feelings that they not come out of those boundaries so that they with we can with our informational organ rule over our emotional aspect we worship before you upon this holy place our great god son and holy spirit amen our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen Святая Церковь, о Тебе предание хранят народов многих племена. The promises are for you, and we keep them in our heart. And now let us together proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.